Oh, nice. Um, does anyone want wine? Yeah. Uh, we have the most amazing bottle of really fanciest wine ever. <gasps> no, you guys aren't even going to be able to handle it. No idea. What is that? That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Where'd you get that? I've heard of that. She got it. Uh, Great. It's apparently good. I love screw cap wine. I don't care at all. If it just says rosé, I'll drink white sin. I don't give a This is Supper Talk. I'm Sarah McKean. And I'm Braxton Schill. This is episode two, Mental Health and Food. We welcome Samantha Witter, who has a background working in kitchens and currently works for a community clubhouse for mentally ill adults in New York called Fountain House. We are just humans, and when we eat, we're going to have like intense feelings, or maybe not, and that's gonna be fine either way. And everyone experiences this. Our second dinner guest was Maggie Shaw, who formerly worked at Fountain House and is now pursuing food and cooking as a means of therapy through her project, Cognitive Kitchen. I think with anything where you're doing some type of self-exploration, you have to figure out personally how deep do you want to go. We shared an early evening spring dinner of roasted chicken and greens. Maggie and Sam shared how their experiences working in kitchens and with mentally ill adults have overlapped. Our dinner conversation began with them telling us about what it is like to work with the mentally ill and the specific approach they take at Fountain House. There's something called the clubhouse model and it is a working model. So the theory is if you put people to work to run this big clubhouse uh, and you use all the facets of the work that needs to happen, people will start to move forward independently, gain some uh, self-respect and uh, all those little bits and pieces there people using that as an opportunity to take responsibility for their rehabilitation. There's so many programs that um, are very patient focused and focused on like the medical needs related to mental illness. And this is not, like this is not a program that offers any therapy, it doesn't do any group stuff, there's no medical, there's no doctors, everybody's either it's a social a worker, yeah. It's, it's just a community of people. Right. The community functions solely based on the efforts of the people who participate because the staff, mm -hmm. there's only a handful of staff per um, functional unit in the house and the different units mm -hmm. serve different purposes like education and communications within the uh, community, uh, employment, the culinary unit, um, wellness unit, horticulture. So there's lots of different things that people can also focus their interests on. It's not just like coming in and being like, you're gonna make a bunch of buttons today. Right. Um, the work is also right. meaningful. It's not yeah. bullshit. Yeah, it's actual work that will make this community run. Maggie and Sam shared with us the way that Fountain House seeks not to treat its members, but provide them with community and purposeful work. Their approach is rather hands-off. Members are given autonomy and choice, which is somewhat of a novel approach to engaging with mentally ill populations. They're mostly there to like keep the function of the unit running. Right. Like They're there to work, right. not to learn. Right. And they may pick up on skills as we're going, right. but they're not. I'm not going to teach them how to do something. What's I'll the goal behind that design? Um, the goal is that people feel connected to the community, and it also, I mean, there it's a lot of what I'm actually going to talk about, which is this behavioral activation. If you're experiencing symptoms of depression and anxiety specifically, physically changing your environment and physically changing your behavior activates different parts of your brain because you are totally focused on this task rather than like the thing that you're really having a lot of anxiety about or I don't know what I'm going to do about Medicaid. And these are all problems that are real, of course, but they probably aren't going to get fixed immediately, even if you came in and talked to a social or in worker. Or two weeks even. Right. Like, I mean, a lot of the problems yeah. that people are dealing with aren't instant fix problems, as that's true for most people in life. Sam, and formerly Maggie, 
work in the kitchen where members prepare meals for themselves and each other. In addition to the kitchen, Fountain House also offers other services. But right. we do have an independent gallery. Um, an art gallery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's for members to make things and then present them in a so, gallery yeah. setting. That's amazing. Wow. But that, like, you have that's to like, really put yeah. your chops in. Like You can't just like, yeah. come in and be like, I put this squiggle on a page. I'm going to mm-hmm. sell it to So actually, it's the same sense. Like You yeah. have to become good you at it. You have to be a real artist. Yeah. Okay. You have to also be really involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a big honor to have your work showcased. Are there a lot of artists? Yes. Yes. Tons of artists. It's sure. Tons yeah. of extremely yeah. talented artists. Yeah. But also, yeah, people tend to sort of. It's a funny thing because it's like the brain kind of dances between, like what. Sometimes it's like, what is the difference between being like an eccentric artist mm-hmm. and a mentally ill person? Mm-hmm. But sometimes a diagnosis. Yeah. So mm, that's common. Yeah. We see that a lot. Yeah. Very eccentric New York souls mm-hmm. who are deemed mentally ill, but like they're probably fine. So what is the line between being a little wacky or artistic and being mentally ill? As Sam mentioned, it may just be a diagnosis. Almost inaudibly at one point during dinner, Sam remarked how Basquiat could have been deemed mentally ill, depriving the public of what is regarded as one of the greatest artists of all time. This fine line is not uncommonly found in kitchens. Everyone's worked with like you know, with air quotes, a crazy dishwasher oh, yeah. who's either crazy not diagnosed chef. or a crazy right. chef. Yeah. And like, and I yeah. mean, I am, a, mm-hmm. I've been, can, been told I am a crazy person. I'm and a like, crazy person. Yeah. And that's fine. <laughs> I have no experience working with people with mental illness, but. Yeah. But we I have a lot of experience. Yeah. <laughs> a food service experience. And when I started my job, they were like, wow, I don't know how you so seamlessly do well at this. And I'm like, well. I've worked with every type of personality you right. could ever imagine. Yeah. No. <laughs> Absolutely. In very stressful situations. Yeah. Sure. And this is not stressful. So No. Why I do you think yeah. why do you think that is? That like all these crazy people go to food service? Yeah. It's fast paced. Yeah. It's easy entry too. Like mm-hmm. you can you yeah. can even in New York, you don't have to have that much experience. If you're really hard working and just have like a really go getter spirit People hire you. Somebody will gladly hire yeah. you for $9 an hour to wash gross plates in a basement, you know, on air conditioned in Brooklyn. But sure. I, but I do think that pace and that um, that you are surrounded by so many different types of people yields like, yeah, like the ability to hide in a very open place. Like you can just hang out mm-hmm. in a kitchen yeah. and be yourself. And right. like that self is totally fine where you are. Like yeah. maybe not find any other job, but like the weird shit that you're doing in the kitchen is fine. I think are- that's the reason why we all work in food. Though, I feel like it attracts a certain personality type though. I think about it because Probably. I think some people, uh, like <laughs> I have a lot of friends who are in food and a lot of friends who aren't. And my friends who aren't, I think it just, they don't. I don't think they really get it. I think they're like, wow, you're just working so hard at a job that like a teenager would do. And I'm like, mm-hmm. um, okay, well not really. Like this is my creative expression. Like it's actually how I like give sort of my talent and gift to the world. I, it's the only thing that's ever made sense. Like I just, working in a like an office, oh my God, my nightmare. I'd rather be in jail, frankly, because that is jail for me. Kitchens are known to attract so-called crazy people. They're creative and intense, and often more about the people than the food. Kitchens where people go to work out their issues, but the problem mm-hmm. is, is I think a lot of people are working out those issues at the same time. Yeah, and mm-hmm. yeah, I think it is. Yeah. A, it is a lot of people. But who, when they're in line, it's like amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's it was perfect. That's yeah. your family. When it yeah. works, it works beautifully. When it works, yeah. it, there's no better place. On it yeah. is like you get high on 
when you're yeah. Yeah. you and I always Perfect worked really services. well together. You and I were like when you get to a moment when you work next to someone and like you realize that it's been twenty minutes of service and y'all have not spoken because you just everyone knows exactly like the movements are there's no behind you, like everything's just going and it's it's spectacular. You sort of anticipate each other. You know, out there is an intimacy to it too, because you really have to know your you have to know weird idiosyncrasies that really have nothing to do with the job about the people. Kitchens are inherently intense, but Fountain House is exploring the idea of minimizing the pursuit of perfection and just focusing on feeding people, making sure everyone involved, from eater to maker, is a common. So, so the kitchen kind of attracts these extreme personalities, but what does it do to help them? Especially... Specifically in, in your line of work, help the mentally mm-hmm. ill. In the long term, probably nothing in a kitchen specifically. Mm-hmm. And we're struggling with that since you've left. Yeah. A kitchen is a place of stress. Mm-hmm. And stress is cancer on a community. Yeah. So we are really trying to eliminate the stress in a kitchen. I don't right know now, which stuff. is very, very hard. Do you think it, oh, it's always stress? It has to be stress? No, or is it specific no. To it doesn't. House? That's the thing. I don't no, know. No, I think no, it's specific no, no, no. to okay. being in a kitchen. It's. I think also that kitchen, kitchen stress too. is just you, a general. It's like I think it has to be though. No, no, no. We've no. erased it, and it's magical. Right. Like, you don't have to stress about. All right, if romaine goes bad in the walk-in, throw it away and mm-hmm. move on. Right. Like just it's. Take a deep breath and move on. Right. And I feel like in a kitchen, you are beholden to all of these things. Like sure. You're going to piss off your sous chef or your, your CDC or, you know, someone's going to get mad and therefore you're going to be the, you know, you're going to get yelled at. Right. Or in you're going to In or front or of right. anyone. Or you're going to, yeah. Right. But we've erased that. So it's like, okay, if the walk-in doesn't get organized, doesn't so matter. be it. Right. Oh well, doesn't happen. Lunch doesn't go out on time. Oh well. Oh so, well. And that's so. There's no timeliness to it, right? Like there's yeah, not there this are. sense. But there like, is. I mean, but people people yeah. will be like lunch out at noon, and it's fine. Right. Yeah. No one's gonna die. Kitchens contribute to stress, but at Fountain House, they've removed the intensity to make the environment more workable for those who are suffering from mental illness. Beyond kitchens, we spoke on the state of mental illness and how Maggie and Sam have developed their opinions on the mentally ill through their work. There is a very palpable difference between like older members and younger members because older members probably <coughs> spend some time, at least a portion of the time, in an institution in some way, shape, or form because mm-hmm. of just how the mental health system used to function. Sure. Um, I mean, general overarching idea is that un- until really even like the early 80s, if people were diagnosed with some type of major mental illness, they might be hospitalized in a mental institution forever into perpetuity. Regardless of like if it was deemed that they could recover or whatever, that wasn't even part of the vernacular. A lot of our older members still kind of function on that routine. It's like they come in at the same time, they want to do the same tasks every day, they eat the same thing, they go take their cigarette break at this time and like they and then they leave and that's that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's like where they're comfortable functioning. Well, and their illness is at that point also so far gone. And like yeah, they're terminally ill. Yeah. And that's like, that's yeah. going to stay with them forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's is, the thing. Is, is there mental illness that's not that way? Absolutely. Okay. I think if you catch it early on and you really target it and you don't, I mean, they don't go to an institution and you don't get right. shock therapy treatment right. and you don't mm-hmm. get like, you know, all sorts of hospitalizations. Which is you up absolutely can recover from mental illness. Yes. Right. Mm. Then it, it, at that point, you're working through, like, physical therapy. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what you, they should be using Fountainhouse as, is physical therapy is coming right. in and, like, working their way towards an end goal 
and you know there are setbacks and whatever just like if you bust your knee and you need to work on that and you can, you have to take a break from whatever it is to right. do this versus like having a cane forever yeah that's right. what mental illness is is it it's it's a sickness that can be cured but at this point because there are so many all these older people who this movement wasn't around then right there are a bunch of older people who are just sick and will stay sick. So is that why we have this this misconception that it can't be cured? Probably. Um, I, I think what's so. hard too is like. So is, when you say you think so, though, sorry to interrupt. No, that's what when you say you think so. Is that so? Is that an opinion? That's an opinion. This is that's okay. entirely. An opinion. I was gonna okay, say this is like that's me. not medically true. No, that's entirely <laughs> an opinion based on the people that I'm working with. I see, you know. A handful of people who I do not think can be cured, and therefore, of course, I would see other people thinking that. Right. Or like, you know, the people that you see on the subway who can't function. Like, is that person curable? I don't know. Based on what I know, probably not. But like a young twenty-four-year-old who has their first psychotic break. Right. Yeah, you can probably fix that if you catch it early enough. Maggie and Sam came to us with a lot more experience with the mentally ill than either Braxton or I have ever had. Their opinions are based on their work and reflect what they have seen. That is not to say that we agree or disagree. It is significant to point out, though, that what they are doing is effective in creating change in the lives of many mentally ill adults. With Fountain House, they are only offered the opportunity to help those who show up every day. It is not a medical institution, and they are not medical professionals, but they are changing members' lives. Meaningful work like theirs is fulfilling from a personal standpoint as well. Has it helped you? Like, do you think that from this, from you, like, <laughs> did you know that before you went there that waking up in the morning and dealing with like the minor depression or even or yeah. even major depression that all of us deal with? I, is, is... I did because I used to always volunteer <coughs> because I knew. So before Fountain House, I was an event manager at a catering company. Okay. Um, so I would volunteer on the side in addition to going to grad school. And I would just like go work in soup kitchens and do prep work or whatever. I work in kitchens basically for nonprofits. And I knew that I had to do something of that sort. So yes, like mentally, I can't do any sort of work that's not this sort of work because yeah. I will um, get very sad very quickly. <laughs> I have to be like, I have to be doing this sort yeah. of work. What do you um, mean this sort of work? Working like with people, like helping people. But helping people in a way that I can see. Right. Yeah. Because it's if it's tangible. helping people in a way in which I can't, like if I'm doing, if I'm doing external affairs at Fountain House and I can't actually see the work that I'm doing, right. I don't think that I will feel good. Right. I have it's it's a very <laughs> selfish job that I do because I do it because I know like in right. order to feel good I have to like put a smile on someone's face and, like... work that not only helps people but makes us feel whole is a reason why many of us work in food while it may not always involve us improving the lives of others the visceral act of cooking and creating is beneficial to many of our mental states Maggie's current project cognitive kitchen seeks to capitalize on this idea by conducting conscious cooking demos. Maybe like a boss who stresses you out, or maybe you're having like a tough time in your marriage, or your kids are driving you crazy, or whatever. You know, it could be a lot of different things. Um, you know, maybe it's somebody who is has early onset dementia. Maybe it's somebody who's being bullied. Um, there's a lot of things that behavioral activation, which is the premise behind this, um, can kind of address. And behavioral activation is it's a uh, kind of a subset of cognitive behavioral therapy that um, focuses on 
moving your body and kind of moving your body and changing your physical environment to improve your mental health and, and decrease anxiety and depression. And it, it, the kitchen is kind of a great place for that. And it's probably also, when I said also earlier, like a lot of people are working on a lot of things in the kitchen. That's kind of what I mean is that, you know, you are, it's super fast paced and it's, you know, there's a lot of routine and this and that, but you also at the end of your shift or your day or whatever, you get to kind of look back at a very quick snapshot and be like, all right, well, this was great and that was terrible and whatever, but you can very quickly have a sense of pride of things that went well. And that is a, a big deal, especially if you're dealing with things that might make it difficult to even leave your house. Maggie is flipping the commercial kitchen atmosphere. Cooking can be therapeutic when we slow down. This led us to discuss how eating is also therapeutic. Sam told us a bit about her Food Studies Master's project about the emotional quality of eating alone, titled Bed Spaghetti. She sent on a survey that asked participants to share what they eat when they are alone. Her results shed light on how food feeds our emotional selves. Some people wrote like essays, some people wrote poems, some people wrote just like, I eat this, this, and this, period. For my research apps, they went and um, took a bunch of the accounts and boiled them down to quotes and then made a photo essay out of them. And what I took from it was that the human behaviors that we have are both negative and positive. And I thought, you know, I love eating alone, I love eating in bed, I love all these things, like it's gonna be wonderful, we're all gonna celebrate this. Whereas the majority of people were like, I can't believe I'm eating these cheese and crackers sitting in front of my fridge. And like, crumbs are everywhere and I feel disgusting and I would never feed this to someone else. And if someone walked in on me, what would they think? And what would they say? And like, I'm scared and, and fearful and shameful. So I wanted to take like all of those human behaviors and just boil it down to the fact that like we're humans and we have these feelings and thoughts and eating and we're never going to erase that. And like, instead of fearing them or celebrating them, we just have to recognize them as like a neutral zone. Mm -hmm. Everyone instead is going to feel like a feeling towards what they're eating alone. And you're not going to have the same feelings if someone else is there. Like once mm -hmm. one person enters that realm of space, the feeling is going to change. Eating can never be separated from emotion. Oftentimes, even those of us who work most closely with food choose to eat our feelings. I understand all this stuff. I get this. Yeah. I'm intellectual. I, I'm in, I am a graduate student of NYU Food Studies, but I promise you I'm going to go home and eat ramen. Right. Like, mm -hmm. what are you going to do about it? Right. Mm -hmm. How are you going to adjust that? Well, I think that's the <laughs> I have a income, and here I am. Like, yeah. I'm still making these decisions. Dude, I eat candy so much. The they, most. And people, <laughs> in the food systems classes, they were just like, ugh. What? I know. I know. I didn't get it. And I was well, like, why do you eat it? Why do you eat it? I eat it too. It's delicious. That's why I eat it. It's cheap and too it's too great. It has to be satiated. I mean, like, the thing about food is that, like, not only should, I mean, obviously, it nourishes you emotionally. But, like, it has to satiate you from your soul within. And, like, if I buy ice cream, I eat the whole thing. Oh, 100%. Because it can't stay. It needs to just go away. Or I have to, like, put it in the trash with, like, Gross yeah. trash on it. Like, sure right, we're done. <laughs> we are because I like if it's I like George Costanza. It, it. if yeah. it's like on it's the top, I'm like oh, I'm gross. Yeah. Like I don't care at all. Like I'm like I, I dropped a cookie on New York City streets the other day. I was like, yeah, I'll still eat. This. I still eat garbage. Like my gross thing that I eat if I'm like in a huge hurry is what I like to call a butter sandwich, which is I just take two pieces of toast and then I just slice super paper thin sheets of butter and just perfectly. Put it in the shape of the toast, and then and then they eat it. That's disgusting. Awesome. No, that's so delicious. delicious. What? It's super gross. gross. Toast? 
Buttered toast is like one but of it's the like, finest things yeah. you can eat. Like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of gross because I look at like the butter sticks like very quickly diminish. Politics aside, sometimes food just has to satiate us. So eating obviously provides great comfort. But we got back to the ease of being at home and how therapeutic cooking a meal for yourself. I'd never, I'd never have incredible. I don't play music. I don't have my fun. I don't even know what time it is when I'm cooking. I just, it's like the sun goes down. I'm like, how long have I been in here? I have no idea. I really like make it like a sexy, wonderful, like I, I don't, I'll be completely by myself and just like light some candles and like set the table and like beautifully plate something Mm. and like have it be the correct temperature and like sauces and I I like that because it's like you're giving yourself this wonderful self-care because you're spending so much thoughtful time on this project and you're just taking in every sensory moment with such delicious like languid it's like this luxury of time I don't I can't even explain it it's just like it's to me the most wonderful way to de-stress and I'm such a rarity because what I found was the majority of people don't cook I know and don't make meals I love making meals do you think they could benefit from doing it do they what? if they frame it if they frame it the way that you frame it could people then convert the people that you're talking about if they want I mean would they want to too. I mean, that's like the thing. I'm capable of doing all of that. Yeah, absolutely. You're very capable. I won't. You're a super capable chef. Like, I will cook one a one pot meal, and I will put it in a bowl, and I will not garnish, and I will not do anything, and I will just eat it in front of my TV. Whereas my husband, he's a cook, <laughs> and he will cook a beautiful, just like you, like cook a beautiful meal and garnish it and make it beautiful and perfect, and he'll sit at the table and eat it, and I will not do that for myself. But it's the ritual. I too. have no yeah. time and patience for that. We have differing perspectives on the comfort of cooking versus the comfort of eating, but we all agreed that it's about engaging with your food and immersing yourself in the experience that provides the greatest peace for us. And of course, no comfort food conversation would be complete without pizza. I like that you get pizza just sort of as like a travel snack on the way to a meal. Mm-hmm. Like I, you'd it's always say, oh, I'm gonna grab like pizza yeah. on the I'm way to meeting Ricky for dinner. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, a snack like the way people are like, I'm just gonna grab a cab. You're like, I'm just gonna grab a slice. Pizza, that's, what, that's what's great about pizza. It's like a, it's everything. It's yeah. sauce, bread, and cheese. Mm-hmm. B, it can be a meal. It can also be a snack. Yeah. It can also like it can fix any breakfast. problem that you've ever had. It can be breakfast. I had pizza for breakfast this morning. Yeah. I had Everything a slice of pie it, yeah. before I had mm-hmm. Blue Hill last Monday. <laughs> I was protesting. I, the women's the uh, women's strike day. I was mm-hmm. protesting. Yeah. I hadn't eaten anything, so I swooped in to like Bleecker Street Pizzas and grabbed two slices and went back out. Yeah. And continued People were probably so jealous. Which they were. They were yeah. like, Where'd you get that? I'm like from a store. Everywhere. You're like I broke the protest. It's, yeah. it's New York. Yeah. There's pizza literally everywhere. Yeah. Oh, it's the best part of New York. Braxton and I invited Maggie and Sam over for dinner because they've both worked in kitchens and with the mentally ill. Initially, we thought we'd talk about crazy chefs and the therapeutic nature of cooking and eating, but we got to so much more. I was personally taken by how our conversations evolved and yet stayed on topic between talking seriously about the mentally ill and being more casual when sharing our stories of emotional eating. We went in thinking we'd be discussing the correlations between mental illness and the average restaurant employee. 
as we dove deeper, I found that there was something different there that I hadn't expected, which is that there isn't that big of a line between mentally ill and what is considered the average person. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we touched on a big thing, the difference between how we feel more relaxed when we're eating comfort food at home and or like when we're cooking something at home. And it's different for different people. Like personally, I feel more relaxed when I'm cooking something. But I don't know if you feel the same way because you've had more professional cooking experience. My wheelhouse is definitely the kitchen. If I'm at someone's house and there is cooking going on, I'm probably going to end up there. It's a complete, it's a blankie. It's it's the thing that I can put on <laughs> and I know that I'm safe and I know that I'm comfortable. Yeah. Um, I enjoy eating, but I, I take more joy from watching someone eat. However, to look at it from the perspective that that is my therapy, even though that I think it isn't, it, I, I do most of my thinking over a stove, mm -hmm. so it, it's it's nice to uh, to ch to change how I'm going into it now and realizing that this isn't me turning my brain off. This is me turning my brain as much on as it possibly can be. When I'm at work and I'm given a task that's more creative and I'm allowed to just like pour myself into it, I totally agree with you that my brain just kind of turns off, or it's what I think is turning off. But you're saying that it kind of like I'm at like a new level yeah and so I think that the therapy of it is undeniable and the other point that was so profound that they made and what you initially touched on was that the line is so fine between being a creative and being mentally ill and I think that we see that working in food part of it could be the culture of it I mean they they talked a lot about hiding in plain sight and in a kitchen, everyone's a little off. You know, we're all pretty tired. We're, we're, no one's eating properly. Everyone's definitely a little hyped up on caffeine. So we're all yelling and running around and acting a little wild. And I think that for someone that maybe that is what they're trying, they've been told for a long time, like, you can't act this way in public. Like, that's not acceptable. But then they come to a professional setting where it is somewhat acceptable. That's a positive thing. I think that there is this idea that you know, oh, I could never work in an office because I can't sit behind a desk and I can't be in those confines and I can't be in that setting. I think that we demonize ourselves for it. It may be the setting that's the problem. Like, to say that you have to act a certain way when you're at work, and that's... We all deal with that. We all have a work face and we all have a personal face. Mm -hmm. And so the bigger gap between that, like, who decided what a work face is? So, you know, in an office, there's this idea that you're in church. I think that's part of the problem. Like, you're, you're, you're relegating, you know, I think if we talk about the crazy folks ending up as the dishwasher, maybe in an office, they end up in the mailroom. Does that mean that, the, that someone's incapable of doing a professional job because maybe they have a, a twitch or they're going to, something is going to, they're going to have an episode, so to speak? If, if that's nurtured and someone can, feels accepted, they're going to work through that. Mm -hmm. They're going to find their place. And so one of the bigger things that I had never really thought about before going into this dinner is that like, I always felt like I found a kitchen because I was weird and I was an eccentric and maybe I was a little out of place. I, I think the idea of what we think of as professional settings may be what's a little out of place. You're forcing, we're all forced to be someone we're not. And that's not fair to anybody, whether they're diagnosed mentally ill or just your average person walking down the street. Right. And I think that's that's something that I don't know if we're going to continue to fight against that. I don't know if we're going to be treated as proper professionals because we work in kitchens, because we work in food. But I think we are doing meaningful work, and I don't think that it should be reduced to anything other than that. I mean, at the end of the day, to say that someone's professional work is somehow less important than someone else's professional work. I mean, obviously, if you're 
the person who cures cancer, maybe you've added a little validity to your resume. But if you are feeding yourself and you're feeding who you're responsible for and you've put a roof over your head in whatever capacity that needs to be, you've fulfilled the social contract. So it's not anyone's place to to belittle that. You know, it, it, at that point it becomes a pissing match and it's people arguing over what they have and that's right. material. So it's it, it really does just give us the opportunity to step back and look at what's in, like what's important in life. We have that conversation constantly, but what what really does matter? And if it's just someone needs to get out of bed in the morning and feel a little bit of purpose and not feel the pressure that some of us can't associate with, then they've they've been successful. And it's not fair for anyone to tell them that's not a successful place to have been. Thank you to Maggie and Sam for joining us for dinner and allowing us to get to this new perspective on mental illness in the food industry and shed light on not only what we experience personally, but what others may experience in food. You make a spritzer out of white zinfandel? Sure do. Mm -hmm. oh, real gross. Yeah. It's pretty good actually, with a little lime. Yeah. Doesn't that so no, trashy? I'm not mad at that at all. Here's the other thing. Can we just talk about the bladder? I mean, you rip it out of the box, you just put that thing in your purse, you can take that anywhere. Eating can never be separated from emotion. Oftentimes, those of us who work most closely with food Eating can never be separated from emotion. Oftentimes, even those who, oftentimes, oftentimes, even, fuck. Oftentimes, even those of us who work most closely with food choose to, I wrote this line. Wait, wait. Choose to eat our feelings. <laughs> Perfect though. Oh, like, bust! I know. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly. Oftentimes, I can't do this. I don't know if I can do this line. Oftentimes, even those of us who work most closely with food choose to eat. <laughs> Oftentimes, even those who those even those of us who work closely with food choose to eat our feelings. <laughs> Oftentimes, even those of us who work most closely with food choose to eat our feelings. <laughs> Oftentimes, even those of us who work most closely with food choose to eat our feelings. <laughs> I need to choose. Whether we know everything about politics or not, sometimes food just has to feel good to you in the moment. <laughs> I clearly was getting lazy with the script at this point. Oh my god. Oh, we're gonna change that because you. <laughs> <laughs>